0: Welcome back to reality 2.0. We are back again. Um, and we're we're at a little bit slower pace these days because I think, well, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm also speaking for everybody. We're so busy. Oh my God. It's insane. And I really, I need a holiday break so we can regroup and get back on top of this. But but here we are, and today we're talking to Kyle again because I, I I love any excuse to talk to Kyle Rankin, and Doc Searles is also here with me, and I am oh yeah I'm Catherine Druckmann, I don't know if I ever even say that but <laughs> but yeah here we are and we're and we're we're I think this this one is going to be an interesting one, in particular for me because I I just got back from CubeCon, I uh, and that was my first CubeCon ever so we can talk about that in a little bit but. But um, I have I have a lot to share. I talked to so many interesting people, and oh, I should plug that by the way. Um, if you're interested in hearing those conversations, you can hear them at the Open at Intel podcast. I will be releasing those over the next few weeks. But yeah, I talked to some really just deeply fascinating people, doing really really interesting and frankly important work in that space. And Kyle is get kind of diving in. Spoiler alert, I don't want to give away too much, but Kyle's diving into the world of the Kubernetes. And Doc and I honestly have had a lot of conversations about this cloud n- uh, native landscape over the years. And so I think this is going to be kind of interesting to revisit. I remember years ago, Doc and I, you and I had this conversation. Um, where you're like, you know, what is all this? They're, they have this this landscape uh, infographic, right? Yeah, yeah, that was, and the, it's just uh, gotten bigger and bigger CNC- and bigger and bigger.
1: Native something, mm-hmm. something. The and cloud it's a, native it's a Linux foundation <laughs> thing. Oh, Siri is talking to me. There's that was your weird. Siri Watch or something. Yeah, you know, thinking you're talking. Yeah, yeah, to. yeah but that's that smart AI stuff going on, right? There. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so the cloud native computing, computing. Yeah, and, and, and they had this landscape where you and you go. It's it's Ellen. Well, we'll put it in the notes but i think it's a lncf dot something and but yeah. it began I, I i first saw that um oh gosh back in 17 maybe 18 might have been even earlier than that when it was all about 5g it was all about what was going to go in little local clouds that were near endpoints in 5g and uh because the the fantasy about 5g and that at that time or at least as I was told at that conference at that time, and it may have changed since then. But I, did read, I wrote a piece of Linux Journal about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, was 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 that um, you're going lo- comput- to locate all these people? Yeah, it. <laughs> close close to people. But I don't think it's anywhere near that anymore. I think it's something else. The whole thing is different.
0: Yeah. No. Well, so the, here's the my per, my perception of it as somebody who's worked a little bit in that space and then who just who observes it. Um, you know, software is complicated. <laughs> not to oversimplify. but yeah. software is really complicated. The way that we make software has gotten more and more complicated. and you know the 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 steps from a developer to production are many. And all along that process of getting an app from from your from yourself as a human writing code out into launching it into this um, into a pod somewhere is very complicated, and there are a lot of options along the way, and so that landscape attempts to kind of decode all of the various places where you might use various solutions. Um, that said, it is immense and can be confusing, which is the starting point for many, many conversations that I have with people in that, in that, uh, in that area. So anyway, so Kyle, tell us a little bit about your experience in the last few weeks. What, what, what are you doing? I, does it have anything to do with Universal Blue? <laughs>
1: um, a little
2: bit, yeah, I mean, that sort of, I mean, which is separate and independent, but in a way, I guess it's connected. So yeah, Universal Blue, like uh, uh, George Castro and, and Teams project to bring cloud-native technologies to a desktop environment. I really do believe strongly it's the future of the desktop, and I've been using it on a on a, a machine here for many months now, and we have loved using it. Uh, but... I mean, it, so it's interesting in the sense that you apply all of all of these technologies and workflows that people are, have been using for a number of years in the cloud to a desktop, and what does that look like? And I know that there's been a lot of interest, even at KubeCon, I heard indirectly from people who you know very interested in what and what this uh, framework can do for a desktop environment. But uh, for me personally, outside of that, one one of the extra nice things about it is that it's also, because it's, it's a desktop made with uh, sort of cloud-native philosophies, it also, the developer version of it is very useful if you want to do cloud-native development, because it includes all the tools out of the box to do things like spin up a, a local Kubernetes cluster and launch pods on them and do all that stuff, which makes it a really good learning platform for someone who wants to learn Kubernetes. And I'm in the position now where, where that's something that I'm getting ramped up on personally. Uh, which is sort of like this interesting journey to get into it because it's if we if we were to go back in time, let's say 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, I was, you know, very focused on infrastructure. My my roles were building out secure infrastructure um, on bare metal, then and later in the cloud. And I started seeing at the time where the industry, the cloud industry seemed to be going, which was very locked down and proprietary where each cloud provider had their own set of APIs. They weren't really uh, shared among, amongst cloud providers. There wasn't a whole lot of abstraction layers on top of it. And I, I just sort of saw this future where it was almost like going back to Solaris, where you had to sort of learn a specific operating system and develop applications for that specific operating system instead of being able to write something to like almost like to, to POSIX, to use a Unix parlance for it, like something that would run on any Unix there wasn't an equivalent really at the time for the cloud because I had built applications for the cloud and scaled it out. But I was trying to make it cloud agnostic, even though that was not recommended by at least some people. They really wanted you to go all in on, say, AWS uh, features. But I tried to make it agnostic. But at the time, the way that you would do that is through um, orchestration tools like Collective and uh, configuration management tools like Puppet. Well. When I saw where that was going, I like I even did a keynote about this called "The Cloud Is Just Another Sun," which is probably my favorite yeah, I talk. I have that. The link <laughs> to it. Yeah, it's my yeah. favorite talk I've given. I gave it a, I gave it as a keynote at Fostum. and the premise of that was essentially the cloud has turned um, computing and infrastructure into Solaris and Sunboxes. Essentially, you can think of AWS as a, as a version of Solaris, kind of, it, except that at least with Solaris, if you wrote an application that was Posix compliant. You could also run it on HP or anything else. Uh, so, as a result of all of that, I, I started thinking, you know, in the I didn't I didn't really like where everything was going, and so I started doing more and more security work and kind of pivoting more towards security uh, because I I really thought that in the next five or ten years, uh, a sysadmin, as it were, their job would be simply writing API glue code uh, for. AWS, right? And like you know, who's really good at writing API glue code with for with uh, to add business logic to an application? Developers. That's what they do all day long. And so it would it's not very hard for a developer to then make the leap of which API are they writing to? Now they're writing to the AWS. They're writing glue code for AWS instead of you know something else, some other framework. So I, I wanted to abandon all of that and kind of moved more toward uh, security. And I did for a while. And and fast forward a number of years. Um, joined a company, join Purism and then have been there for the last five years, six years. When I joined, a technology like Kubernetes was was existed, but it was very new. Uh, it was something that was like people were trying it out in dev, but like anyone deploying in the production, people were like, you're crazy. You know, or there's like yeah. there were, it was a it was big news that someone said, well I actually run it in production, you know. People forget
0: how young it is, especially when you go to something like KubeCon that gets over 10,000 people, you know, all (laughs) there to converge to talk about this technology. And it's what less than 10 years old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, I remember going to scale like six years ago and it wasn't that there weren't talks on Kubernetes. It was just it was like a it was very brand new. People were saying, here's this new technology that we're trying out and it can be useful for these things, but it's really not ready for prime time. So then, I joined a company, and the last couple, the last you know, five, six, six years, I've been there And that company. Its use case, it doesn't need Kubernetes. It doesn't need that scalability, that that orchestration for a very basic e-commerce site. It needed just basic tools uh, that you would like old-school web deployment kind of stuff. So as a result, wasn't exposed to it there because we don't need, we didn't need to use it. And I'm not the kind of person that automatically just uh, uses a tool because it's popular. You know, it has to make sense for the company. So then I come out of there and look around. And in the last six years, every other place uh, that's doing normal web app stuff, instead yeah. of doing a combination of maybe some people are using Kubernetes, maybe some people are doing other stuff, every, it's like taking over, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. the way that if even, you have- Even a I've app, worked
0: with Kubernetes. I know. It's yeah, crazy. exactly. And you so can't it's help like, it. Yeah.
2: yeah, and so even though in the past I had built Basically, before that, if you were a sysadmin or building infrastructure, you would we all built stuff like that that did similar things, it's just we had to build it from scratch using different tools, right? And so, now there's sort of a, what's nice is now there's a common language, I guess, a common set of tools that now everybody knows, a common abstraction layer that now takes away from the it's almost like a POSIX layer on top of Unix for cloud providers, right? Because you have this, they all, all the major cloud providers can support Kubernetes. And so you're its you're back to that situation where you can write an application, in this case, not an application, a full web stack, a full right. infrastructure a stack. A developer
0: platform. Yeah. yeah, you
2: can do a whole platform with this abstraction layer and it will, it's compatible with whatever cloud provider or bare, bare metal you decide, you know? So now the cloud providers are like, Picking between Solaris, AIX, and HPux, or whoever, uh, but they all support this. As long as you write it to this compatibility layer, then it runs on all of them, right? Which makes sense. So anyway, yeah. So the last, so all that to say, um, over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a deep dive into uh, ramping up on all of that. You know, set up my own clusters and deployed apps and and doing all that stuff and and just like I said, learning all of the technology. Um, and have really been enjoying it so far. Uh, like I said, it's it's nice to see a lot of the stuff I in the past have implemented, but implemented from scratch myself with other technologies, all being taken care of in something that not just me and my stack knows, but something that everybody's kind of universally using.
0: So you mentioned you mentioned George Castro, who is. Um, these days, one of my absolute favorite people. By the way, I hope he's listening, so I can tell him that. <laughs> but yeah, so George is cool, um, and he. Hold on, I'm looking up. Where is the damn bluefin project? Bluefin is the. I
1: think it's bluefin.io.
2: Project,
0: project Bluefin, Bluefin.io, is something else. But there's yeah. Project Bluefin.io that you need to go check out. He he just launched this. This is Jorge. Um
1: yeah. it's george but yes oh it's george yeah there's a whole thing
0: apparently he does about how it's not that but (laughs) it is george (laughs) um oh my god it's like taking forever to load this is awkward i guess i'll be editing right here why is project blue i it's not loading anyway (laughs) if i were to get it to load I'm
1: i'm getting tuna when i'm trying to do some quick searching here so (laughs) project
0: bluefin.io i literally i have it on my suitcase he has really cool stickers okay well it's not loading anyway it's about it's dinosaur themed and it's very cool um well if i can't pull it up i feel like i for sure can't speak to it what the hell ah here it is um so yeah so george has has recently released project bluefin.io which everybody should check out and i will of course link to but um but yeah it's kind of this like next evolution in um well everything that you just mentioned frankly kyle it's this kind of like next evolutionary step in what you're you know the the future of of how we use linux i suppose um anyway i mention it only because i wanted to throw out there before uh, i would be remiss in not mentioning that i want to get george here to talk with us about this so anyway that's why i throw it out out there. I think maybe our next episode, we all come back, we get George on, we yeah. nerd out about Project Buffin.
2: I think that'd be awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think That'd be awesome. Anyway. So carry, carry on, carry on. So have you, have you played with what, what exactly, what is your local uh, environment look like right now in yeah, all of your exploration?
2: Yeah, so at first, so I started with just a, a standard uh, local single node cluster on my machine that's running Bluefin, actually, using Kind, uh, which mm-hmm. is, for people listening, that's a, one of a number of different tools that makes it very easy to automatically set up a cluster on a local machine for local development purposes. It automates a lot of the process of setting up Kubernetes. Uh, on your local machine. So I started with that and followed some, you know, basic tutorials, launching, you know, launch your first app, launch a WordPress cluster, you know, do all those sorts of things uh, to kind of get a sense of it on one app. And that that was, you know, enlightening and interesting because you're just learning a new tool set and the new in the commands to introspect an application compared to what you might do in the past. And more recently what I did is I'm I'm building a separate uh, like long lived kubernetes cluster locally like on my home network uh, because i i already have a large home environment where i'm you know i host quite a few things both here and then i have a, i have a server co-located uh, that's running just old school standard you know lamp stack type stuff like standard linux services this, the old fashioned way not even using containers you know just local stuff um, so my my midterm plan is to actually is to even though it's overkill, honestly, it really is just sort of like, just for the sake of learning stuff, uh, it would be overkill, but I, I'm planning on migrating everything into Kubernetes, running locally on a cluster. Mm. Uh, mm. So I have a couple of nodes that, so yeah, so I took a, set, a spare mini PC I have, happen to have lying around and set it all up from scratch, not using Kind or anything, but set up like a, a straight up uh, Kubernetes uh, control plane from scratch. And set up a couple of services on there, like your basic like Prometheus, Grafana, that sort of stack that mm-hmm. everyone uses to monitor it and, and get you know and get graphs and everything. So that's all running. Um, and then and then going through different guides and just kind of getting the feel for launching all the standard stuff that I've launched a million times before on in, in other approaches, you know, in other ways, uh, setting that up on this this close local cluster I have. Uh, and then once I feel you know pretty good about how things are going. Because um, I want the ability to rip this out and tear it down and bring it back up and all of that for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, then ultimately, yeah, I'm going to be taking all of these services I happen to run on my one always running local server uh, that technically right now is a laptop because laptops for local right. servers are great because they have a great built-in UPS. but. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'll probably start migrating things over to that. And maybe, and then, I, then at that point, I need to decide whether I want to do like a multiple node cluster. And I'll probably set one of those up separately just for the, the, the fun and learning experience of doing that. Uh, although most of it you can do sync on a single node. But anyway, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing with it so far. Um, and my, like I said, my midterm plans are to start moving all of my personal services that right now are running, like I said, the old fashioned 2004 mm-hmm. way. Um, into Kubernetes just for just for fun and games.
0: That sounds fun. Um, I, I'm wondering. So when you when you kind of decided to, that you needed to dive in here or wanted to dive in here, um, what was the most useful thing to you in getting started? Like, what, did you did you how did how did you go about your learning process? I guess is where I'm going with this.
2: Yeah. Well, the first thing I did is I asked, "Hey, George Castro." Um, yeah.
0: Well, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna lie.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like I was like, you know, there's 50 different guides out there. Are you know, traditionally in the old in the olden days, if you wanted to ramp up on a new technology, like let's say we're going back to like 2001, all right. Uh, if you wanted to ramp up on a new technology, you would go get the O'Reilly book on the technology and read it, and and then you'd be ramped up on it, right? right. And so, but that's not necessarily the way things go these days, and not with necessarily with every technology. And so i decided to i was like hey so i decided to ask george hey you know if you want to get ramped up from scratch because i also want i don't want just the i i never really want just the surface here's here i've done a couple of things i am done i kind of want like a comprehensive foundational knowledge of something when i'm learning it and so a lot of guides online can be incomplete you know they just sort of do a how-to and then they stop because it's harder to write something that's comprehensive that covers all the bases so anyway, I asked him and he sent me a couple of things. He sent, he pointed me to a section of the official docs that are worth going through just to explain the nuts and bolts of things in administration stuff. And he pointed me to a guide, which I will, um, actually, I will share with you here uh, so you can have it and you can post it in the notes. That is a like an hour-long video that's also accompanied with a, a very extensive blog post that goes over one person's sort of full tutorial and it goes into more detail on things like using helm and, and spawning basic mm-hmm. stuff but it gives you a sense of like how you know cube CTL, like how those commands work and right. the basic stuff you do all the all the standard stuff and it gives you sort of at the end you have functioning things uh that's always nice to have that you, so you can poke at it and stuff and it's it's it was it's built to run on your local instance so for example my my bluefin developer experience uh, laptop or uh, computer i have here I could just follow these steps, guide, you know, step by step, and I didn't have to install anything extra. It just sort of worked, which was nice. So I just start, started with that, and that gave me a foundational, okay, very scratch the surface kind of no stuff. And then I went through the official docs, and, and also the best learning experience I had was trying to set it up on a independent PC, not a cloud instance, because half the work's already done for you. If you're just, I'm gonna go to, you know, Google or AWS or something, and because they're, they're setting up the control plane for you. So I wanted to do that myself. And so I had a spare machine. And so setting that up was, was a real eye opener because half the guides out there are wrong in different ways, or at least they're, they have errors in, in the setup. And so as a result, I would start doing things and it wouldn't work, which means I had to then debug and troubleshoot, which is the best way that you learn anything. It's almost a blessing if an online guide doesn't work or has a mistake. Because then you learn more. Because you have mm. to learn how to find out how to get logs for this various thing. It could be this. It could be that. How do I tell? And then you have to do more research and figure out how how to poke and probe a cluster in all the different ways that things could go wrong. Um, and in some cases, this was, these were networking issues, maybe, or load or resource issues, maybe. And so I had to, you know, diagnose all this stuff. And so, great exercise, frustrating exercise, but great exercise as far as learning things is to have the The steps you're following in a guide not work. Um, finally, found a guide that did work uh, after learning a lot. Uh, but, but yeah, so that was sort of like my 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 process. And now at this point, I'm at the point where I have a, a good basic foundational knowledge of how to administer Kubernetes. You know, not like this, the levels of deep knowledge you would have if you've been running in production for for years or whatever. Obviously. But enough that com- combined with what I already knew about administration, it all makes sense, it all kind of flows. And so now it's just a matter of mapping how you would do things in some other framework to this. And so the next, the next thing I'm doing, other than just going through other standard documentation and making sure if I have any gaps um, that, I, that those are filled in is I'm just gonna go through, like I said, pick services that I already know and love and use, and then start moving them over Uh, So that I can, something I know deeply, I can see the comparison, I guess.
0: That's great. It's it's nice that you're having like a fun experience with this. You're not like beating your head against the wall or doing anything being kind of miserable, which may or may not have been some of my introduction to the world of Kubernetes. I may or may not have experienced what is it? Uh, cube control list pods and then error, error, error. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. But uh...
2: <laughs> yeah, my guides were good. I mean, I was fortunate in one that my I started with, uh, Universal Blue. You know that helped a lot because, or Bluefin I mean, because I started with Bluefin developer experience mm-hmm. and had all the tools already installed. I could just start with run, following a guide that just worked. And so I could get the sense of it and what it looked like when everything's good. So that then when I went to my own computer, my own server and things didn't work, I already had knew sort of what it looked like when it worked. And so it was, even though it was frustrating, it wasn't as bad as the very first taste of this. It was everything's broken, you know? It was the second or third <laughs> yeah. taste. Was everything broken?
0: That's awesome. So, so yeah, this really, you know, as I mentioned, you know, at the beginning, I I had a lot of conversations with people, right, over the last week, and it is kind of amazing to me how how mature the community has become in again less than less than ten years. I think the first release was in twenty fourteen of Kubernetes. And now there's this massive, yeah. massive ecosystem. Most of the world seems to depend on it in some way.
1: It, I mean, that may be an overstatement. But I, I, can, I can source, uh, I, I can look at, I can look at I'm, so, I'm so dim on this. I'm, I'm not a good contributor, but um, I can at least read in the, um, in the Wikipedia article that says it's it's written like an advertisement, but seems to be accurate otherwise. Uh, that Google thought it up and, and started working on it in 2014. Actually, a bunch of engineers did there. And then uh, they worked with the LF to create the uh, foundation which runs it now. But well, it's, here's I mean, but, but contributions to it have gone up and up and up and up. And the, the landscape, by the way, is at um, landscape.cncf.io. And it's really interesting because the Kubernetes part of it has grown enormously. It's not the biggest square on the page, which it didn't used to be. So go ahead, uh, Kyle.
2: Well, I was just going to say, I, I mean, I would really liken it to uh, it feels to me like taking the long view of my whole experience using, you know, open source software and, and running Linux forever, uh, and in particular running Linux servers, it really feels like uh, like the reincarnation of Apache from oh, okay. like mm. what Apache did in the late 90s, where if you, if you go before, if you like, and this is all covered in, extensively in... Um, Oh, what was that documentary? Why am I blanking on the name of it? The... You know, the documentary that talked about the dot-com boom and how that impacted open oh, source. yeah, um, I know
0: the one you're talking about, but I don't remember
1: the name. Kind of, yeah.
2: Yeah, it had like, it's talking about like VA Linux and, and that sort of successful IPO and everything that spawned off of that. Um, We're all there. Googling it
0: right uh, yeah. now. I know. <laughs> yeah, all... Actually, I'm ducking it. <laughs>
1: there's beyond a bubble with Frontline. No, it's not that. No, no this it's was not like that in one. this was like Revolution in the... OS. Revolution OS is That's the one. It. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Very good. So
2: if you were to watch Revolution OS, this it does a good job of there's a particular section, it, it builds a good groundwork of a couple of things. Then it gets near the near the middle or end. It, it starts talking about the history of Apache and Apache's impact on linux in particular and open source software in general and the enormous impact it had which if you weren't there at the time it's hard to appreciate but before that time there were a couple of web server pieces of web server software you could run but for the most part and and this was when having a web server was incredibly important and a lot of them were running on sun hardware with the solaris os Right. And if you wanted to have a web server, you were running probably Netscape's web server. There's a couple of others, but you're probably running Netscape's proprietary web server on, a, uh, on Solaris. And then Apache comes out. And sort of the power of Apache was that one, it ran, it, it allowed you to do a couple of things like having virtual, besides the fact it was open source, it allowed you to, to host more than one website on one physical piece of hardware. Which the uh, which Netscape's server didn't do, so you could have you know foo.com and bar.com both being hosted yeah. from the same physical hardware, which made a And big IBM deal, had which...
1: WebSphere, as I recall, and it was even more proprietary and
2: yeah. Uh, and it, so it, what yeah. this did was you were right. kind of yeah. it provided this environment where you could run on this expensive Solaris hardware, or you could get a similar amount of you know, power out of these really cheap one use servers running Linux, like these non-brand name, generic, cheap Linux servers. And that I would argue more than almost anything else led to Linux just sort of taking over the data center was the fact that you had this combination of not simply like a LAMP stack, which was, which was a later on kind of thing, but just the, just the fact alone that you could get a cheap one new server running Apache and it ran just as well, if not better than running a proprietary thing on Solaris. But beyond all of that, you could also run Apache on, once it started taking over, you could run it on Solaris. You could also run it on Windows. And it was the standard way that you started hosting websites. So everyone started developing websites for this service. And then you could host it on whatever OS or hardware you more or less wanted to at that point. And so I say all that to say, I really, I, I, as someone who is just now seeing, well, I've seen, obviously seen Kubernetes the whole time, but looking at it from a, from a viewpoint of someone who hadn't deployed it in the last five years to looking at it now, it really reminds me of that approach because it, it did the same thing that Apache did, which is there's things that you have to do if you wanna deploy an application at scale um, in the cloud. And it abstracted all of that away to where you you find you once again don't have to care about which cloud provider you're using and do cloud specific things necessarily. You can develop your application in this cluster and all the self-healing and scaling and all the stuff you need generically and run it on whichever proprietary platform you want to run it on um, or homegrown, you know, if you want to run it on your own internal cloud or whatever, you can do that too. So yeah, it, 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 it has a lot of hints of Apache uh, which was something that when I in when I was doing that cloud as another sun keynote, I was sort of lamenting was what what will be sort of the Apache um, of the of the cloud? Uh, is there going to be one? And at the time, someone came up to me afterwards and said they thought you know they were saying well probably OpenStack, I guess. But but honestly, I think Kubernetes is it. It's yeah, the, you know,
0: I, I'll, I'll buy that. It makes sense to me. Um, yeah, it's yeah anyway. I, I, I keep saying like it's the greatest open source success story since and then occasionally I've said Linux and then occasionally I've said Apache other people actually threw out Apache and so I've adopted that actually and it's it's it is interesting to see just this um, the the feel of being at kubecon is like Linux world a hundred years ago
1: oh wow wow if
0: that if that I mean if that resonates. Sorry, I, I think it probably then, does right a,
1: where was cube where was kubecon
0: it was in Chicago Oh.
1: Oh, I could have driven there. What do you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Hmm.
0: But yeah, it's, um, yeah, interesting. Very interesting stuff. As somebody who's not all that plugged into that landscape, or at least not anymore, I mean, I, I was a user of, of a lot of these things um, for a while, but now it's, I have a little bit of a different perspective, I guess, and... and um. I don't know. It's it's just kind of mind blowing. But my sympathy is always with the people who are noobs, right? Ex- kind of people in your position, right? You may have you may have you know, umpteen gazillion years of experience in other open source technologies, but here you are diving into Kubernetes as with fresh eyes, right? Yeah. And um, and my sympathy is is I think um, again, as we've mentioned, the landscape can be so overwhelming, and when you dive in, especially when you're talking about actually getting something into production, it's there are so many different options at each step of the way that it can be a bit overwhelming. And I did actually want to plug, um, something. So, so somebody I've talked to, I, I talked to at Q- at CubeCon and I've talked to before. Um, her name is Whitney Lee and she is one, she's delightful and fun, but she does a web series called you choose where they kind of pick apart different options. And I think it's, it's so good because mm-hmm. again, it's, it's, the, I think that the very essence of it is so overwhelming. And I, I think to have those kind of like, um, people to kind of handhold you, you know, uh, through through this process, like as a, a George, everybody needs a George in their life or a Whitney or or one of those things, you know, or one of those people to to uh, yeah, anyway, to to help out because again, as it becomes a greater and greater success story, it it impacts more developers, more platform engineers. Um, yeah, and more and more people are going to need that kind of, that need a guide through this this uh, kind of jungle-like landscape.
2: Well, and and here's what I would liken it to, and here's sort of the advantage of it is, whenever, as, as an administrator or, you know, if you're running a team or whatever, when you go to a new place, wherever it is, it's, it, and traditionally it's been a case of, okay, the, the thing is all enterprises have the same need. You know, you have applications, you have services, you need to run them, you need to be able to have more of them or fewer of them. Scale up and scale down. You need to be able to upgrade them. You need to be able to make changes to them. All the everyone ha- you need to load balance. All those common needs you have to that you have when you're running services. And when you join a new place, there's always this ramp up time of okay, well, mm-hmm. how does this place do it? And traditionally, it was okay. Well, there's a long list of different tools, but mostly it's a lot of in-house tools. So if you went, if you were to go back 20 years ago, it's like okay, yeah. how do you? Um, change configurations on servers Well, we log into everyone individually and we or whatever, right? And then, you know, maybe 15 years ago, uh, it was like, okay, well, we're starting to use maybe configuration management a little bit. It was the early days of that, but then there's a couple of choices with that. So maybe you're just learning, okay, which configuration manager are you using if you're using one, or are you doing an SSH for loop or whatever it is, right? Um, and then it's sort of moving into orchestration tools and everything else. But but all that to say like there's always a ramp up time when you join a new organization because everyone does things yeah. differently and has and has solved this problem in a different way however the benefit of this approach with kubernetes is while everyone probably well, while every organization probably uses kubernetes slightly differently at least the core set of tools right. and the core set of commands is the same kind of yeah, I mean, yeah everyone's part yeah. yeah that's what that's what i mean the kubernetes part there's 50 other ways that like people might build containers and do all this other stuff but mm-hmm. um, but the core administration tasks, there's at least some common set of commands and common set of tools that you could use And common. Like once you understand parts of it, it seems like it maps, even though people might implement it slightly differently, each organization does it differently. It's not the yeah. same kind of differences as going to a place that's a puppet shop and now you're going to a place that's an Ansible shop or a salt shop, let's say, right. where the, the concepts are the same, but the implementation's completely different. Now it's more like the concepts are the same, and a lot of the implementations the same, and there's some there's differences, but it's a way shorter curve, I guess. I mean, yeah. I'm, in my case, it's a I'm having to do a large learning curve, going from scratch, kind of. Except that these are all things that I had built in the past anyway, just not using right. Kubernetes, right? These are all right, needs right, right, that right. you have, and so it's like, oh yeah, oh that's nice that it does that for me. I don't have I don't have to make the right. tool do it now or whatever, you yeah. know.
0: Well, the, the new, the new, and one of many new hot topics is, is um, you know, sort of these custom. Everybody has a custom, fancy, very cool, uh, or not everybody, but a lot of people have internal developer platforms that are kind of easy. It, the aim being, of course, to make the developer's life easier and more productive, and you know, and to be more productive and more efficient and, and fault tolerant, and all of these things to get get things to to production. But um, and those, of course, are going to be Customized to to the enterprise needs, uh, depending on the, what the teams needs are. But like you say, there is this there is a underlying uh, certainty, I suppose, if you will, that there are going to be certain pieces in there that everybody's probably using, like Kubernetes. Like why would you not use you know? So yeah, that part is feels familiar, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, uh, and that's why you know to me it was worth worth the ramp up in using it because it's clearly not only has wide adoption. It, Pretty much anywhere you go that has a need to have a scalable web app, uh, is going to be is likely going to be using this and some yeah. other technologies along with it to spawn hosts to spawn the basic hosts and do all this and interact with their cloud platform. But this is a common denominator, and so it's worth anyone who's still in, who's interested in like continual continual learning. If you don't know it already, it's definitely worth learning. I mean, there's there's always whatever the technology is or whatever the role is. There are going to be people who have sort of dig their heels in whatever they learned around the time that they were a mid-level, um, whether it's assistant men or you know DevOps person, SRE, whatever it is, in any kind of engineering field, it seems like there's two kinds of people. There are people who are in this rapid learning phase early on in their career, then they get to the middle phase, and they're like, okay, now I kind of have some competence with this, and I'm about to be kind of senior level, and now I'm going to stop learning. Um, now I know what I need to know. And I've mastered this one thing, whatever it is. And once they achieve mastery, then they're done. Right. And they don't want to learn anything new. If it's a, if it's a, if you're talking about a software developer, whatever the programming language was hot when they started learning is what they learned. And they are not interested in anything new. Right. Like that's their bread and butter. That's what they're going to do. If you're an administrator, whatever the frameworks or approaches or whatever, that's what you learn. Then there's the other kind of person who realizes, who's open to constantly learning new things because they realize that's what technology is. And those people will look at the landscape, and not necessarily like in my case. I, I'm more of that latter category, but I also don't just chase a trend. I don't. I don't jump in and do something simply because it's popular. It has to actually make sense. Because um, there's a lot of over the years, there's been a lot of popular yeah, yeah. things that have been garbage, <laughs> so it don't work. <laughs> and so, also,
0: like there's a there's an argument for you know using it and. An unnecessarily complex tool for a simple task. I mean, there are, exactly. there are things out there that are not suitable for everything, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like a, a lot of times the, the reason that this, for example, Kubernetes is complex is what it's doing is complex. And yeah. achieving this in any way would be complex, uh, whatever method you choose. And so, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, if you are a person who wants to continually learn as part of your career, which I would recommend people be that way, whether it's, you know, learning of the Linux desktop and using the Linux desktop or servers or writing software, uh, then, yeah, it makes sense to look around and see what's what's actually not just trendy, but in pop, in real use and has become standard, what's a standard um, and learn that, you know, because it's, it's, it's valuable to know. So what do you think, Doc? Have we, have we nerded out?
1: I, I, I love all the nerding out. Have I love we, the nerding out. I like, we, I like anything new and hot. That's cool. You know? So, um, and, and so I'm sitting here just learning a lot in the course of it. So.
0: I do yeah. feel like you would have appreciated the energy. It's a, it's a yeah. different, it's a, there's a, I, I, you know, again, I approach this from a, a little bit different direction, I guess, but there's this, um, there's an excitement in this community that is, that reminds me of something from the past.
1: Well, it's, you know, I mean, and there'll be another one in 15, 20 years. that will remind you of this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. how that, that's how that stuff goes. So it'll be good. It's, it's great. Yeah, glad, it really does. I'm glad does. it's happening. It, and, it and I really, hope you find a gig in the, in the midst of it, Kyle. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, so, it, it really has sort of rekindled my love of infrastructure, which I've been, you know, I've been, like, most of my career has been building it in one way or the other. Even when I was, move, when I was more security focused, half of that was building secure infrastructure, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice because, yeah, it, it really has renewed my love and interest in that stuff. Where before I was like, oh, great, we're all just basically going to be going back to running, like using Solaris the rest of our lives, essentially. We'll, we'll call it AWS or we'll call it GCP or whatever. But um, it's really just a proprietary OS that just happens to be on someone else's platform. But now it's not really like that. Like this is, is back to open source mm. roots, the excitement that you get when you're using open source software that's, that is, is agnostic of platform, you know, that is interoperable and all of that um which you know grabs my interest again i love it you know and, oh, and cool. i
1: like the apache comparison because that i remember that and i was around for that and it was really extremely exciting suddenly it ran on everything i mean and, and what hard. this also allows you to do is it allows you to potentially unseat some of these i mean this is the reason
2: that google created this to begin with is they had to un- try to attempt to unseat aws's dominance right and then, so they developed mm. this to have a, a agnostic uh a platform that you could develop these applications on so you could potentially port them over to to, GC, to Google's cloud if you wanted to, right? I um, mean, it was su- successful in the sense that they created this thing and now you could. But what this also means is the same thing that happened when you have Apache exist on whatever OS you want. It, me- it makes the low-cost thing, um, the homegrown open source thing potentially appealing. Like that's what made... Linux adoption so wide was, oh! Instead of buying this really going to this really expensive option, I could actually get the same benefits on my really cheap homegrown version, and this allows both an up and comer to create a competing service potentially uh, that mm. that speaks this yeah. language right that supports this, or it allows you inter- internally if you're not happy with your cloud bill uh, to maybe even consider homegrown infrastructure again to a degree because you get some of the same assurances as long as you can keep the, you know, the, the hardware running, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, at least an option for some.
0: Interesting for the, the DIYers out there. (laughs) Well, cool. Um, I, I, I think this is, this has been really fun. It's, It's fun to like get excited about something new again. You know, it's, um, yeah, I'm. Although I feel like I do that all the time because I am like <laughs> constantly diving into getting a, getting shallow hey, knowledge about a lot, new, a lot of different things. It's not things. AI.
1: <laughs> I know, <So>.
0: right? <laughs> well, new to us anyway, or new to Kyle. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so in conclusion, don't check out uh, uh, Project Bluefin. Uh, check out the CNCF landscape. I will link to Kyle's uh cloud is not it is just another sun talk and we can kind of reflect on where, where we've come where we've been and, and where we're going um but yeah i think i think we've we've left no stone unturned in the beginning of our journey i really i really hope we can get we can get george on to really kind of nerd out about yeah. about where he's coming from with his project and then uh i don't know i kind of i kind of want to follow this this um this little kyle goes cloud native story (laughs) a little bit more because i think it's fun i think it's there's gonna be like more to tell this is this is great this is why we love having you on kyle because you always have interesting stories it's either weaving or it's like authoring books or publishing <laughs> or now it's now it's now we're into kubernetes yeah the, the kubernetes book from
1: kyle is coming out at some point i
0: know right it should there's no it doubt should, about right? that kubernetes, well actually maybe running ai or uh, machine learning workloads or training models in kubernetes i think that's probably a good book to write
2: oh interesting well eventually <laughs> Just, yeah i'm too early for me to write uh, about it now but maybe soon maybe soon we'll see
0: but that's how you learn you write a book about it's it. True, so. it's true it's true okay well cool well thanks y'all let's uh until next time hope we've piqued your interest